0: you're here for the first time today, you came on a Sunday where we're actually taking a moment just to to reflect on and remember the work of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes, you know, if you're not, if you're newer to a church or to to exploring faith, the idea of talking about God's Spirit or God's work inside of people might seem foreign or strange, but I have a sense that if you long for God to work, you know that it's going to be more than just a natural thing, that he's going to do something in you. And I trust that that's the case. And um, so today's Pentecost Sunday, and I want to start with this story. When we, you know, we live just not far from here, and there's this big maple tree on our lawn. And if you sit on our our lawn for a little bit or drive by and look at the maple tree, you'll notice that the maple tree has like, it kind of, it turns as it goes up kind of weird. And for a couple of years, we're living there. We had no clue. Like, you know, normal trees, the lines kind of go straight. This tree, the line the lines turn like this along the tree. And we're like, what is it with this tree? You know? So four or five years later, we're talking to one of our neighbors, Andre, who lives across the street and um, we started talking about this tree, and he's lived there for like 35 years, you know? So he's seen everything in the neighborhood since it started. So he said, do you know the story about this tree? I said, I have no clue. And, And he said, years ago, Uh, There was a tornado that came through, and it came through the West Island, and we saw it. And, And so if this is my house and that's his, we saw it coming behind the houses, and it came in between his house and his neighbor's house, and it crossed the street, and it enveloped the tree, and because of the force of the wind, it pulled the tree up and actually started to pull it up, and then it moved on. And so this tree that was growing straight was pulled up a little bit by the force of the of the tornado and literally turned in its early stages of growth and now it has this little kind of slight swirl to it you know I was like oh my gosh that is just crazy you know and and we you think about that the power of wind the power of a tornado to do that to this solid solid tree that's deeply rooted in the ground is just an amazing image Today, we celebrate what's known as Pentecost Sunday. And we often don't hear this as much as maybe we should, but the Holy Spirit actually uh, is referred to often in the scriptures as wind. And uh, what happened you know, 2,000 years ago on what was known as the day of Pentecost, which we'll explore in a little bit, um, actually Luke, the, the writer of the gospel and the book of Acts, describes the moment when the Holy Spirit really comes in a powerful way as a, as a wind coming through. And it's an amazing use of words. And you'll see why Luke would have used those words and why this all fits together. But I want to go even further back. 500 years before this day of Pentecost and around the time of the resurrection of Jesus. 500 years before that, before Jesus walked Palestinian streets, there was this prophet called Ezekiel. And Ezekiel grew up as a temple priest uh, with Israel. That was kind of his role and his job and what he did. But when Israel was exiled to a place called Babylon... Uh, Ezekiel was exiled with his family. So he and his family and many others were literally removed and sent to a place called Babylon. And, uh, And he in Babylon, while the Jews were exiled there, while they were feeling the pain of not being home, while they were feeling also the pain of their rebellion that led them there, Ezekiel becomes this prophet. He begins to speak into the life of Israel like some of the other prophets do that we read in the Old Testament. And he's a unique prophet. He's a very strange prophet. In fact, I wouldn't tell you if, you if you're like, hey, I'd love to start reading the Bible, I wouldn't say, hey, start with Ezekiel chapter one. You know, Like it wouldn't be the thing. And in fact, even if you've been reading the Bible for a while, Ezekiel can feel a little strange to you and a little awkward and difficult to read. But there's a couple of moments of just sheer brilliance, and not his brilliance, but what the Lord wanted to do in Israel and speak to Israel in that time. And Ezekiel chapter 37 is one of those incredible moments where God uses Ezekiel to speak to the Jews at the time. And God gives Ezekiel this vision f- for Israel, but he gives him this vision. And he sees before him this valley of dry and dead bones. In fact, it's interesting because it's not literal. It's not like the bones are right in front of him, but it looks like it's so real for him. And I want to read just the beginning of this and then unpack it a bit. The hand of the Lord was on me, Ezekiel saying, and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set in the middle and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And he asked me, son of man, can these bones live? And I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. So here's Ezekiel given this vision. He sees it vividly in front of him like it's so real. And he's given this vision of all these bones scattered across this deep valley and literally as, as though he's walking through them. It's a stark picture, motionless, dead, hopeless, lost, lifeless. And he's given this image because that's exactly what Israel is feeling in their season of exile in Babylon. They're feeling lifeless and hopeless and dead. They feel lost. They feel cut off. They feel as though they've hit a dead end to what God was planning on doing. It's like, well, is this the end of the road? And this vision that God gives Ezekiel is a vision of what Israel is feeling in that moment. Now, in Babylon they were the minority. They they were they were just a, a few in that large region that was so different from them. And so they're wondering in their minds, how can we even live here? How can we even be who God has called us to be in this place? They're, they're wondering, like, are the gods that the Babylonians, you know, worship or talk about, are they bigger than our God? Because, like, we're here, and we're stuck here, and it seems like we're here because of our God. Is their God better or bigger? Like, they felt desperate. They felt lost. They had all these hopes and promises that the Lord had given them for their future, and they felt like it was a dead end. Like, this is going to go nowhere. Nothing is going to be accomplished in us anymore. And Ezekiel sees all this in this kind of vision of dry bones, dead bones. And now if you think of prophets, prophets were interesting because God would use prophets to bring clarity to his people. And we can read a whole bunch of them in the Old Testament. These prophets that that God would use to bring clarity and truth. Now very often the prophets would disagree with the people. Very often, it's the message, very often the message that the prophet would bring was in contrast to the people. Because often the people were kind of doing what they wanted, what they thought was right. Uh, but they were detouring. They were going off of God's plan, off of God's purposes. Maybe they were acting unjustly. Maybe they were minimalizing the poor. Maybe they were living immorally. We're not, it's all different situations in the Old Testament. But one thing was for sure. God often used these prophets to say something to the people that the people disagreed with that the people had to stop and listen and say, oh, maybe we're going the wrong way. Oh, my gosh, why have we been treating the poor this way? Oh, why have we been living like this? And so the prophet would often bring this kind of message. Ezekiel was also disagreeing with them, but he was disagreeing with their hopelessness. He wasn't disagreeing with the, where they were. He was disagreeing with how they felt. They felt hopeless, they felt lost, they felt dead and in some way they were in exile for that reason and Ezekiel brings a message that is in disagreement with how they feel. Verse four, he says this in verse four. He says, then he said to me, God says to Ezekiel, prophesy to these bones. Okay, first of all, it's only a a vision (laughs) and then God says prophesy to the bones. You're like, God, there's not, I, I know I'm seeing this but you want me to like, Speak to these bones. God says, prophesy to these bones and say to them, I love this, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life and then you will know that I am the Lord. I mean, this could be a scene out of the Lord of the Rings, right? Like, it's, you can just see it all kind of coming together, you know? Speak to the bones, you know? And so, so, and then suddenly, suddenly, and it's not up there, just listen, suddenly, this noises start to be, start to happen. Like, there's noise, and there's a rattling that takes place, and bones begin to come together in, in this vision, and they start connecting, and tendons start connecting these bones together, and flesh starts filling in the gaps, and skin begins to cover it. These bones are slowly coming alive, but they're still lifeless. They're still breathless. They still have no breath in them. In verse 9, God tells Ezekiel to do this. He says, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And Such a powerful epic line. Come, breath from the four winds. And breathe into these slain that they may live. And in that moment, as Ezekiel sees this vision before him, these bones that have come together literally to become bodies now are filled with life. And they stand up, Ezekiel says, almost like an army. It's like God is is saying through Ezekiel to Israel, I am not done with you yet. I am not done with you yet. You feel dead. You feel dry. You feel hopeless. You feel lifeless. But I am not done with you yet. And God's promises to both use Israel and even go beyond Israel to, to, to for the nations of the world to know Him and for the restoration in God's plans and purposes to come to life. God is not over yet. It's not over yet. And this vision becomes a message to Israel in the time, and something even beyond that. Now, what's so cool is that in this, these short verses, like fourteen verses, the word breath or spirit or wind is used ten times, and it's it's the word in Hebrew that's it's kind of cool. It's called ruach, like R-U-A-C-H, ruach. I know you won't use it to, you know, Tuesday at work when you go back. But, but it's, it's, it's a word there in, in Hebrew. And you can translate it like four different ways. It can be breath, wind, spirit, life. But it's the Hebrew word that, that comes up often in Scripture. In fact, right from the beginning of the, of the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 1. It says that God's spirit, God's ruach, God's breath is hovering over the waters. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, when the story of creation, when, when Adam is literally created from dust, it says God's ruah, God's breath, same word, is breathed into Adam and gives life. And this word gets tracked through the Psalms and the prophets, ruah. And sometimes it's spirit, and sometimes it's breath, and sometimes it's wind, and sometimes it's life. And it's as though God in this moment with Ezekiel, using this word again as, as we read it in Ezekiel 37, is giving life. He's breathing life where there's no life. He's bringing hope, breathing hope where it feels hopeless. He's breathing new growth where everything is dead. Where everything is dead. Now, if like most of my neighbors are complaining about like the dead patches of grass they're praying that god would breathe life into their grass this season uh, anyways that's a bad metaphor sorry um, let's 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 kind of move on but here's the thing have you ever has anybody ever like stopped breathing in front of you Some people have had that where it's like, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? Either someone uh, stops breathing or is drowning or something like that. And there's normally two ways to resuscitate a person. If you kind of see me just lying here and I stop breathing, you would do one of two things. You'd maybe grab one of the electrical cords, split it in two and kind of jab it in my chest and try and wake me up, right? That's like one way of kind of making me come back to life. The other way is if somebody knows CPR, they would come on top of me and start, you know, pushing my chest and giving me CPR. So what would they do? They'd breathe life Into me and breathe life back out of me so I could start breathing. Those are kind of two major ways that we would resuscitate a person who stops breathing or potentially dies in front of us. I was doing some research and realized that, and this is unobvious, you're like, well, you don't even have to research this, but you're gonna, there's death without breath, right? Simple, right? There's death without breath. There's death without breath. If someone is drowning or lacks oxygen, I read this, and this study said specifically about the human body, and you can read it on the screen, that the body can resist many forms of trauma. Lack of nourishment, harsh harsh conditions, crashes, etc. But without the ability to breathe, the body is effectively dead within minutes. Within minutes, maximum 20. Within minutes, the body is effectively dead without breath. What an irrelevant metaphor for God's Holy Spirit. The ruah of God, the breath, the life, the wind. Verse 14, this is what God says. I will put my ruah, my spirit, in you, and you will live. I will put my spirit, my breath, my life in you, and you will live. You will live. What a beautiful way to describe what God wants to do in the human heart and the human life and in our world and in you and me. Now, this message was initially to Israel, and Israel was literally at the end of its ropes, like nothing was going to happen. 500 years later, this man named Jesus comes on the scene. And starts calling people to God's kingdom that is coming near. God's new way that is coming into shape and form. That although Israel and even the world had kind of gone off and off on a tangent and everything, God, Jesus comes on the scene and preaches that God's kingdom is near. And 500 years later, after Jesus teaches and preaches and he dies a death on a cross and resurrects from the grave in that time period, in the same couple of months, the wind of God blows again. And it's called Pentecost. The wind of God blows again. It's called Pentecost. Now it was interesting because it happened on a day called Pentecost that was pretty traditional for the Jews. Every year the Jews celebrated what was known as Pentecost. It was tied to Passover. Passover was a moment in Israel's history where God rescued them from Egypt out of slavery and they moved towards a new life. And the the day that they're rescued, they celebrate what's called Passover. And Israel would celebrate Passover every year. 50 days after the first Passover, the people of Israel with Moses find themselves on Mount Sinai and God gives them the law. And so out of slavery, 50 days later, God gives them the law, this new life, this new way to live, this new shape and framework that will shape them as the people God had wanted them to be. And so 50 days later, they find themselves receiving the law. God was doing something new. But here's the amazing thing. 500 years after Ezekiel has that vision, God was reviving what was lost, was speaking life into death. And it would be more intimate and more powerful and more personal than the law ever could be. In fact, Ezekiel also said, along with Jeremiah, speaking God's word, I will give you a new heart. Not a heart of stone, but a heart of flesh. And I will put my law, literally write it on your hearts. My spirit, my breath will do that, Jesus says. And here's the scene in Acts chapter 2 verse one to four, when the day of Pentecost came, that celebration, that celebration, they celebrated every year, 50 days after Passover. They were all together. This is, these are the disciples. Now, not 12, but about 120 of them. And this is just, again, 50 days after Jesus died and rose from the grave. They were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Here's these 120 disciples. Jesus previously, before he ascended into heaven, says, you go to Jerusalem and wait, wait, wait for my Holy Spirit to come. I promised you that that God will send his Spirit as I leave and ascend into heaven. You wait And then in that moment, it's like the blowing breath of God comes over them. And did you catch that? Something like a wind comes. Jesus promised this would happen. He tells them to wait. And in that moment, God's spirit comes and fills them. It's it's amazing because... From that day, it's like God's spirit explodes on the scene like never, ever before. They thought it was all over. They thought, how long are we going to wait? They thought like, okay, like, can we really do this, Jesus? You know, you've they're thinking, Jesus told us we're going to be his witnesses. We're going to be his disciples. We're going to make disciples. Can we do this? How long are we going to wait for what you promised us? And God explodes by his spirit onto the sea. Now, this is on that day, that day of Pentecost, that yearly festival. Well, that was like common, you know? Like, I don't know about you. Like, I go to the Jazz Fest every year. I just kind of know what to expect. I love it, right? It's just every year I go to St. Urban and St. Catherine and to Maisonneuve. And I either park or take the metro. I hang out. I watch shows. I know what's going to happen every year. And it's just, you know, you're crammed in with a bunch of people. You're listening to great music. I like it. But I know what's going to happen. And the Jews knew it was going to happen every day of Pentecost. 180,000 people cram into Jerusalem from other regions. And they just celebrate the day of Pentecost like they celebrate it every other year. It was part of their tradition. It was part of what they did. It was part of who they were as a people. But this year, something was different. This year, something was different. This year, the Holy Spirit comes in. We hear about the wind and the noise and 120 of Jesus' followers in an upper duplex in Jerusalem. And people notice that there's something that looks like tongues of fire on their heads. But that's not the biggest part. They begin proclaiming and talking and proclaiming like literally where people can hear them out the window. And of these 180,000 that congregated on top of the regular residents of Jerusalem, many of them spoke different languages from their regions. And they start to hear these people in this upper duplex in Jerusalem, they start to hear their own language. They start to hear them proclaiming God's goodness and God's grace and God's plans and God's love for them in their own language. And they're like, how is this possible that... Like they're looking at each other and like, hey, you're from over there and you're from over there and you're from over there. But we hear all of our languages spoken to us about what God is up to. This never happened on the day of Pentecost. I mean, we just come, bring our family and we leave. This is different. And they're like, what is happening? There was an uproar, Luke tells us, in the city because of what was going on. And then Peter The apostle takes the stage, and Peter, who denied Jesus three times, and Peter, who seemed like he was gonna fumble after Jesus, you know, leaves the scene, he takes the stage, not literally, but begins to speak to people and begins to preach this message. And he starts to tell them what had happened and the Jesus who died and the people who were involved in that. He doesn't sugarcoat the message, he doesn't leave out the raw details. He tells them what happened and who was partly responsible and how this happened. And the people, it says, Luke tells us the people are torn inside. It says, he uses these words, they're cut to the heart. Somehow in that moment, they know they must respond to this message. And so this wind of the spirit that comes into that apartment in Jerusalem also begins to work among these people, and they're cut to the heart. And they ask Peter, what must we do to respond to what you're saying? Peter says, repent and believe. 3,000 people begin to put their faith in the Jesus whom their leaders sent to the cross 50 days before. Their leaders were part of the plot that got Jesus killed, and 50 days later, These same people, part of the Jews, are putting their faith in the Jesus whom their leader sent to the cross 50 days earlier. And they come to believe in him. And they get baptized. They immerse themselves in this new way that God is calling them to. And the church is launched. Isn't that amazing? The church is launched. God had brought life through the law on Mount Sinai. But on that day, God brought life through the Holy Spirit. Right? God had formed Israel to reach the nations, but they never fulfilled that vocation. But on that day, the day of Pentecost, God launches to the nations all these languages, who he is and what he's about. And he launches the church to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. They're going to go out, and they have gone out. And Ezekiel's vision finds fulfillment. These dry bones come to life. is that amazing? These dry bones come to life. This, the, God's kingdom comes near, and, the, and God's spirit, his wind, his breath, fills them. So just a couple of things as we wrap this up. First of all, Jesus and the Holy Spirit fulfill Ezekiel 17, uh, 20, uh, 37. I mean, this vision of death... And prophesying to these bones and to the breath and seeing this in, you know, this vision before him. How would this happen? Here's Jesus coming, dying, resurrecting, sending his Holy Spirit. It, it fulfills Ezekiel 37. His promise, Jesus' promise from John 14 and John 16 where he tells his disciples, I will send my spirit. I'm going to send another one like me. I'm going to send another one just like me. He will continue what I have started in you. And he said, he will fill you. He will teach you. He will will teach all people. He will teach people about me. Because the Holy Spirit always points us back to Jesus. If somebody tells you the Holy Spirit is pointing you to some other thing, no, the Holy Spirit always points us back to Jesus. Jesus told us that. And in this incredible moment through the death and resurrection of Jesus and 50 days later, the day of Pentecost, the Spirit coming, it fulfills Ezekiel 37. God wasn't done yet. God wasn't finished yet. And that leads us to this other thought. For you and me, God is still not done with you or me. You might feel dead. You might feel hopeless. You might feel lost. You might look around you and say, you know, is there a solution to this? Can, can, can Can there be life where I sense that there's death? Can there be hope where I sense that there's hopelessness? And this beautiful image, this stark, both like Like epic vision but beautiful vision from Ezekiel 37 and the fulfilled promise of God's spirit tells us God is not done speaking life into death. God is not done speaking hope into hopelessness. God is not done speaking growth into stagnation. God wants to breathe life. Please listen to this if this is what you specifically need today. God wants to breathe life into anyone who puts their faith in Jesus. Anyone who puts their faith in Christ. God says, my life will flow through you. In fact, God wants that for everybody. But he promises us that when we believe in Christ, it's like floods of living water. Another image of the Holy Spirit will flow through us. So are are you at a dead end maybe for something in your life? Are you feeling hopeless or maybe lifeless? And Pentecost tells us God longs to give you life where you feel it's lifeless. God longs to give you life. Now, I want to just tell you something, and especially if you, know, you, can, you Google and say, like, what does the Holy Spirit do? <laughs> Let me tell you, the Holy Spirit, um, don't presume what the Holy Spirit can do, and don't just listen to people that say the Holy Spirit only does this or only does that. I love the image of wind. Wind is unpredictable, right? And sometimes you're sitting in your backyard, and there's a warm wind, and you feel it on your arm, and you're like, that's such a comforting wind. Right? You felt that? And then if you have a gazebo like I have and the wind comes and it rips it off your deck, you're like, oh my gosh, what the heck? You're like, how did that just happen, right? I saw that move. Or when my neighbor saw the the maple tree move, right? And so sometimes the Holy Spirit comes in like a warm breath and comforts and nurtures and encourages. And sometimes it feels like a wild wind that moves and rattles because we need that in that moment. And sometimes you need comfort and sometimes you need the rattling. And don't presume or assume or force the Holy Spirit to be one thing or another in your life in that season. The Holy Spirit needs to rattle us. Let him rattle us. The Holy Spirit knows we need to be comforted. Let him comfort us. And don't presume it for other people as well. Like, I love the idea of fuel, right? If I had a can of fuel here, I can do two things with it to show you how it works. I can put it in my car, and it's going to last me like 600 kilometers, slowly burning the fuel to sustain my trip. Or I can take a match, light it, and we'll all blow up, right? And so fuel can work in those two ways. Sometimes it feels like this burst, and sometimes it's a slow sustenance. And so don't force the Spirit to be what you want. Let Him do in you what you really need. And if God wants to shake you up like a burst, let Him do it. And if God wants to sustain you slowly over the course of a season, He can do that by His Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? N.T. Wright says this, it's on the screen. Let him or he, I put he, I, don't li- I never like calling the Holy Spirit on it, but I know he's speaking in context. Letting he sweeping sweep through your life, your heart, your imagination, your power of speech and transformation and transform you from a listless or lifeless believer to someone whose heart is on fire with the love of God. Man, let's let the Holy Spirit sweep through our life and our heart, transform our lives. And here's this last little short piece. You can speak life into people. I don't mean you're the Holy Spirit, because you're not, and I'm not. Trust me, I'm not. Don't trust me like you trust the Holy Spirit, okay? I will fail you over and over again. But you can speak life into death. Isn't it amazing? Ezekiel spoke God's word. God told Ezekiel, prophesy to the bones, prophesy to the breath. But it was God's word that Ezekiel used that changed things. And Jesus, Jesus, the message of Jesus through Peter that day in the day of Pentecost, it was God's word, it was God's message, it was the life and teachings, the death and resurrection of Jesus that impacted those people. The Holy Spirit can use us to speak life into the people around us. To speak life and truth into the people around us. And here's the beautiful promise. Jesus said, when the Spirit comes, you will be my witnesses. That means he's, God's going to use you and me. Isn't that great? I'm going to ask the team to come up so we can close just with a, um, and a, a, just a couple of minutes of affirmation. But a couple of years ago, several years ago, my wife and I and our family went to New Brunswick. And um, someone gave us, uh, not gave us, but for a really great um, f- small fee, we were able to stay at a small little uh, cottage, like a 50-year-old cottage on a lake in, uh, in New Brunswick. And the owners lived on site in kind of their nice house and stuff. We were staying there. And so the owner, his name was Paul, super nice guy. He had a boat. He had two boats. He had a motorboat and he had a sailboat. So we did the motorboat one day. It was really fun. And then one day he's like, hey, you know, if you guys want to take the sailboat out, we'll, we'll try this. So Andrew was smaller at the time, and, and I've, like, I've really never sailed anything in my life. So, so uh, we're, we're like, let's do this. So, you know, we ba- he backs up the boat into the water with his car, and we kind of get it in there, and then we unleash it from the, from the hitch and everything, and it's kind of floating there, and the wind just starts to come. Like, the wind is, like, crazy. And we're looking at ourselves, like, I, I don't know if I want to go. I Think I'm gonna die on this day, you know? Like I'm gonna need the electrical shot of the resuscitation from somebody doing CPR. But it was like, and then so we're trying, and we tried for like 15, 20 minutes. And even Paul said, you know what? The wind is too strong. We're never gonna get this thing going. We're gonna collapse before we even start. So as much as I was a little fearful, and Andrew was like looking both like this epic way, and also like, Dad, are you really gonna take me out here? Type of thing. we, we didn't get to go on the water that day. And uh, it, was, it was a little disappointing because I was longing to, for the feeling for the wind to catch the sails of the boat. I was longing to kind of hold the, the sail and to turn it and to try and discern where the wind is and for the wind to just catch it and for, for the wind to take us and to kind of just really feel the power of the wind. And it didn't happen. And I was disappointed. And it wasn't our fault, but it just didn't happen. And I think... I thought about that story and I thought how many how many of us you know live not in the danger of adventure but the danger of missing the adventure that God has for us that maybe you know we've missed out on setting the sails of our life to the wind of the holy spirit you know I heard Marlene's story and I realized if if she if she would not listen to the lord in this season she might miss what god wants to do in her and through her But what about for you and for me, for whatever that means in our life, whatever season we're in, whatever ways as we move forward, that if we don't take the time to really just catch the wind of the Spirit, what is he doing? And if we can set our sails to that. I know that day for the real, you know, that kind of real physical wind, I was disappointed because I thought, I wanted to sense that. But I think sometimes we long for life and meaning and purpose, but we're like, I don't know if I'm going to set my sail to what God is up to. But God wants to do so much in you and me, and He sent Jesus to revive us and lead us and guide us to die for us and resurrect from the grave. And Jesus sent His Spirit and that word right throughout Scripture: wind, life, breath. We can, if we can, just set our sails. How many of us miss it and miss it and um, and miss the life that God has in store for us because we don't want? We're just maybe afraid to catch the sail or. or stagnant or neglected and that's god wants more for us amen he wants more for us in that way and and now don't get me wrong it doesn't mean that it's gonna that you have to that that the way the spirit works is just some experiential way that you're gonna feel you know like electricity running through you you know some people paint pictures of how the holy spirit works and i'm like what, how are you telling me that like How are you telling me that this is how that works? But I I know for certain from the scriptures that God does want to work in us and want to move in us and want to lead us. And you know what? The day you said yes to Jesus is the day the Holy Spirit began working in you. The day some of you got baptized is the day where that immersion of baptism reflected the immersion of Jesus and as God's Holy Spirit came on Jesus and affirmed him. That same God's very own Spirit wants to work in you starting from your baptism, that in any moment in your life following Christ, you say, welcome, Lord. I welcome your work. Lead me, guide me. I want to set my sail. And we, we, can, we can grow and move in a way that we even didn't imagine. God, we stand here today grateful for the fulfilling work of Jesus on the cross and resurrection and the powerful sending of your Holy Spirit. God, we thank you that your Spirit's work is rooted in your work, is rooted in your Son's work. Together, God, we praise Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We thank you how Jesus prepared us and signaled to us, God, that he would send your Spirit. God, even that moment in the Gospels as he breathes on his disciples, oh God, it's symbolically Demonstrating, Lord, the work of your spirit in us. And so God, we acknowledge today that in some ways, I, I, at least I acknowledge personally, in some ways I have neglected to set my sail to allow the wind of your spirit to lead me and guide me in certain times. God, I long for more. Lord, more in a sense where I long to live a life that you lead and you guide. You promised us you will and you can, and you've given us your spirit. And so today, in just a moment of a posture of surrender and welcome, we say yes. We say yes to the work of your spirit in us. Help us, God, in some way, set our sails to allow you to lead and guide, God. Let us trust you. Help us trust you. God, let this be true of our church. Not only in this season, Oh God, but every single season, God. Lord, we long to be led by you and see your spirit at work among us and through us. God, I pray for anyone here today, maybe for the first time, maybe uh, searching and, and longing for you, God, and maybe even in, in this moment wondering if you can be real and, and work in them, God, and I lift them up to you and I pray, God, even in the simplest of indication to you, God, right now, even if it's a whisper from their heart, to let you know that they long for more of you, God. Would you flood them and love them and show them how much you care for them and lead them and guide them to know your son, Jesus, and your work in their hearts, God. God, we pray all this in your son's incredible name. And we rely on you and the work of your spirit in us, God. Amen.